You're listening to the Art of Play podcast. This podcast is about play, not just childhood play, all play. I'm here to show how play is a foundation of not just being better adults, but better, well-rounded humans. Happy Friday. Today we kick off our series of interviews from Creative. So I have a few different interviews coming up that are all creatives and from all different walks of life, all different um, creative outlets, all different job scopes. And I'm so excited that we have um, we have this kicking off today because it's been a long time coming. So these are people who have endeavored to make a living out of their uh, outwardly creative tendencies. They're coming to share their field, share their struggles, share their outlets, and most importantly, how they manage to be playful and creative, even when it may appear as though that's their day job. So today, I'm so pleased to announce that we have Jenna Evans-Welch, who is a New York Times best-selling author of two books with her third coming out in November, and she is a phenomenal writer. She... Um, she writes in young adult fiction, and it is, they're the most imaginative books. She uh, has been a writer from an early age and grew up around the writing and publishing world with her father as an author, but um, I happened to go to school with Jenna, and let me tell you, she is charming and lovely, and she possesses that uh, sparkle and imagination that's not very, it's, it's actually really hard to keep under wraps. Um, and usually some, I feel like a lot of people take it to an extreme, but Jenna manages to keep it under wraps. So she's super classy, um, but she's really quick to laugh and quick to empathize. She's just a beautiful person. So I'm very excited to introduce her to you today. And, um, and just so you know, she's been that way for as long as I've known her. So today we talked about her books and the process that it takes to get a book written and published and sold. And then we talk about her creative process and about keeping her creative juices flowing. Then we move into um, leaving your mark on the world. And I think it's best that we just jump right in, but I wanted you to know how much I believe in this woman's ability to create and create a work of fiction that will transport you somewhere new and exciting and it feels fresh. And um, just so you know, I've included all of the links in the show notes. So now let's get straight to Jenna. I was thinking about you this morning and I was thinking how I remember hearing this quote of, um, or some phrase, the bloom where you're planted. And I remember thinking that just made me think of you because everywhere you went, it was like, we were in our gross desks and like biology at right hillside. And it was like, (laughs) you would have set up something beautiful, right? (laughs) Like everywhere you went, like flowers were just like blooming. Like I just remember your beautiful handwriting and you were always, I don't know, everything was just like prettier around you. That's really nice. I don't think I've ever thought that about anyone else too. (laughs) Like you're the only person that that has applied to that I've ever met. And so I was like so excited to see your home a few years ago. So I was like, it's going to be so Dell. And it so is. It's like so you. It's so fun to see you as an adult in your space because it's just. Thank you. That's actually really nice. Right. Like that's, I was thinking the other day, um, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about Every, every week you should write a 500 page letter to somebody who's not expecting it. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So a 500, not 500 page, 500, 500 word. word. I, okay, got it. <laughs> no, you could spend, the whole, you could spend the whole week <laughs> yeah. writing a single letter and that's all you do. But 500 words just explaining to them how they've affected your life. Mm-hmm. So what you're grateful for or something, but somebody that's not expecting it, you know, kind of makes you reach out and tell people things that maybe you wouldn't in conversation and things like that. Right. It made me think, how many people did I sit there and admire in high school and I never said anything, right? Like they never knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, teenagers don't talk anyway, and you're not really comfortable making yourself that vulnerable right. a lot of time. You you're know, not supposed to act like you care that much. Right. And then there's very few, I mean, you have limited time to actually sit and have that intimate of a conversation anyway. So thinking back, I was like, I don't think I ever really said to people like you, I always was excited to see what you wore every day because Mm -hmm. you came to school put together every day. Or I was so excited to get help like explained in math from you because you had a way of expressing yourself in math that made it make sense to me, Right. right? Like the teacher didn't, I sort of got it when the teacher said it, but then the way you explained it, you put it into perspective in a way that made me understand things like that. You don't say out loud. Right. And how I don't even really think them in right. a very coherent way. But like, isn't that the nicest thing to go to somebody and say, like for you, it would be like, I wish I would have gone to see you dance in the Nutcracker. Oh, and I remember watching you be so dedicated. We were doing our science fair project and you had rehearsal afterward. So we had like this tiny little window to get our project done. But you were warming up at your house before going to your, um, I don't know if it was a performance, probably a rehearsal. And Gosh, I don't remember this at all. And I was just like, holy cow, the amount of dedication for her to be that strong. I mean, you were doing like 50 crunches and stretching your legs in a way that I still, I have no idea how that's even possible. It's probably not possible anymore. And, <laughs> but at the same time, realizing from a non-dancer watching a dancer, like saying like, that is incredible that you have dedicated your time and your effort to making this beauty for everybody else to appreciate. It was like, I mean, it's something you don't say out loud. Right. And I, I don't know. I've thought about, maybe I should just go back through and just anybody that comes to mind Write down something fantastic that has come to mind. Like we could all use more positivity. Like a grown-up yearbook. Yeah. Write what we actually <gasps> wanted to say to each other. Yes. Instead of like hags, you are so cute. <laughs> you next year. Like, let's go. Let's go toilet papering again Yay. sometime. Like <laughs> not like a. I mean, we. I never went toilet papering. Never. But you know, I mean, instead of saying these like obscure things or masking how we really felt what it I mean why don't we just like throw all caution to the wind in our 30s and just go for it just Just, say it just say it already Sarah Bareilles song (laughs) say what is it say what you need to say (laughs) say what you need to say (laughs) say what you need to say already yeah okay I don't what do you want is there anything off the like not that you don't want to talk about kids family um no no okay I mean, obviously, if they were, I'll tell you, but no, I feel good. (laughs) Great. Okay. So I'm going to introduce you a little bit just so it's like on here. And then I'm going to have you talk about how you became a writer. Okay. 
and then what kind of like how you've evolved in your writing to now. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So today we're talking to Jenna Evans Welch. My husband loves your name because he, he's the only person who calls me by all three names. You know, who doesn't want to feel like an author? Be like, please sign this Jenna Evans Welch yes. for me. Yes. Absolutely. And she is a young adult author. And you're on your third? So my third, book? it was actually supposed to come out a few days ago, but oh, pandemic, I know pandemic, pandemic pushed it back a bit. So it's coming out November 10th. Oh, November 10th. Okay. Yeah. Mark your calendars for November 10th. Um, she, her books are the most delightful read. I love them. I can, I have like countdowns till they come out because They're I so love sweet. to read them. I think you're one of my very first readers of my first book too. Really? Uh-huh. And we hadn't talked in a while and you messaged me and said you wanted to be one of the early oh my gosh. readers. And I was so excited. Uh, like so much fun. Cause I loved your blog. It was Green, the green it? lemon. The green lemon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you still write it? No. And actually, we messed up and it lapsed. And I don't know, this Chinese company took it oh, over. Oh, I'm so sorry. Did you lose it all? Did you um, lose all your posts? I think that we were able to save the post, but I haven't. There's one that I still send out occasionally about like my first year of writing, but the rest oh, of it, who knows? It'd probably know. be really embarrassing. But to just read. like, no, so I mean, just the way you put your thoughts into words. It makes it one real, I always feel like my thoughts are very jumbled. As you can tell, we've jumped subjects three times here. But at the same time, you make it flow in a way that you want to, the reader wants to be a part of it. Like you're right there with the writing the whole time as though you're feeling the feelings and it's very visually stimulating without actually being visually stimulating. Like visually Thank you. That is a really nice compliment. So I... I really love reading. So your first book was Love and Gelato. Gelato. And then we did Love and Luck. Mm-hmm. And now you're on Love and Olives. Olives. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So tell me a little bit about where you began writing, how you started that journey, and then how you've gotten to today. Okay. So I knew what I wanted to do very, very young. Um I, so my dad's a writer, see, um, he started publishing, I think when I was seven and I think I was six when I decided I was going to be an author. Like as soon as I discovered books, that was it for me. Like I just read and read. My family was worried about me. Like she never goes outside. She doesn't play. She just reads Little House on the Prairie over and over. Um, so I read, people always want to fight me on this, but I think I've read more than, I read more than any kid anywhere. I just read constantly and I honestly read through everything there was for me by like age 11. And I remember at 11 thinking like, oh, yay, I get to move up to like the teenager books. Yes. And I went to, I wonder where it was, some little library branch and um, nearby, it was probably in like Cottonwood Heights area. And I found the young adult section and it was this sad little shelf and all the books were about like cheerleaders and I was not into cheerleaders. Like I wanted the same like plucky heroines going yes, on, right? Yeah. Like I wanted Matilda, but like grown up but yes, and kissing. Yeah. And that was not there, <laughs> right? Like it didn't, it was not there for me. So um, the YA market has just exploded since then. And it's probably good I was born when I was because I don't know that I would have come out of my room. I would have just kept, just kept reading, reading and reading because there's such an incredible market now. Um, but I was 11 and I remember turning around to my mom and saying, I'm going to write books for teenagers and I'm going to write the books that I wish we're on that shelf. Basically. Yes. Oh. So there was a lot of floundering um, 
like my first book came out right before I turned 30 and I had spent like 10 years trying to write something and writing something awful and feeling so sad and devastated about that because I knew it was bad. Um, I think that's an important piece you have to have is knowing whether or not your work is good. Yes. Um, it's interesting. I Something I've seen a lot because now everyone tells me about them want, you know, wanting to write their own books. And I hear from a lot of authors who don't seem to have a lot of awareness about their work. And I think you have to have some awareness in order yeah. to be able to push yourself into the next level. So did you know, like, did you get criticism on it or you just knew it wasn't what you wanted to read? I knew it wasn't what, yeah, what I wanted to read. Like yeah. my first, my first try at Love and Gelato had no plot like no plot at all. <laughs> it was really kind of impressive that I managed to write that right. whole book with like no <laughs> real story. There was kind of a loose <laughs> conflict, but not, not enough. Um, and I was like trying to bring it back together. And I, I knew it was the thing that I'd always been pushed toward, but it was pretty clear I couldn't do it. And I was so sad about that. So right. I ended up like shoving it in a closet and just trying to pretend that it wasn't what I wanted to do for many, many years. So anyway, there's that. So then, so then after it came out of the closet, what happened? How did that? So I was working with my dad on his novels for, I don't know, six years or so. And I started to get braver where I would just change stuff and write in things that I liked or whatever. In his books? Uh, in his books, yeah. And he started to get where he's like, we well, just like, I don't know, write that part for me. And I don't mean to say that I wrote much of his books at all. I really didn't. Well, no, it's like an assistant but, in an artist's yeah. you know, studio. It's yeah. Like, um, and he just kept saying to me like, we know this is what you're here for. This is what you're supposed to do. And he kept saying, mm -hmm. you, you hear the music. That's what he calls it. Um, when you have like the ear and the gift for writing. Um, and it's funny, I actually do hear something when I write. I don't really know how to explain it, but it, it, it probably makes me a really slow writer. But if I write a sentence, I can hear if something's off, but I don't know immediately what it is. So I have to like rewrite and rewrite until it like sounds right. Sounds appropriate. So yeah. actually music is actually a really good kind of, it's like composing for it your, a little bit. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. And I could do it with his books and we both would hear the same thing. Like that line's not right. And then, he, you know, he would rework it. So anyway, I finally told my dad, like he kept pushing and it just hurt so much every time he brought up my terrible book. Um, Had he read it? Uh-huh. Okay. And he also agreed I had no plot. <laughs> and also his <laughs> agent, who's now my agent, also read it and was sweet. Um but it was, it was clear I had no plot. I had a, a long ways to go. Um, so my dad just got frustrated with me and finally took my plotless book to my now publisher, which is so embarrassing to think of them reading it. But he said, um, there is so much like raw talent here. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if I've ever told someone the story this way. I feel like I'm like bragging about myself. But anyway. Don't. Just go ahead. Okay. Jump right in. <laughs> it's your 30s. So, Jump right yes, in. Yes, here we are. Um, so he said, you know, there's obviously some problems with this, but I really think she can do this. What do you guys think? And they had made an offer to me before I realized that they even had it. So no one gets a book contract this way, but I did. Um, so Sam, my oldest, had just turned one. We just blown out the candles. Um, my dad's agent, who's now my agent as well, Lori Liss, um, had flown in, and they just had this surprise for me, like, ta-da, mm. Simon Schuster wants your book. You're going to have to rewrite it, but they want to but publish they want it. it. Yeah. So what? I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone I'm going to. And then I called like everyone I knew within, you know, like 20 <laughs> minutes. Um, so I had like a year to figure out how to write it. Yeah. And I had two editors who were helpful, but I probably wrote it four times. And then I finally got to the end and I was like, okay, yes, this is the book 
that yeah. I would want to read. Yes. And, you know, when you write your first book, you have no idea if anyone's going to read it. And honestly, most most, most books for, are kind of in obscurity. Yeah. And talking about high school, it feels like there's a lot of... I just remember thinking in high school, there were all these girls who were so beautiful that no one seemed to notice. Did you notice right? that too? And yes. I was like, why isn't everyone like... Why isn't anybody capitalizing after on this gorgeous... Yes. Like inside and out person. Right. Yeah. Right. I, f I feel like a lot of books are like that because there's incredible books. And I mean, I think the book has to be good, but there's also this extra layer of magic that's kind of out of your control. The publisher yes. does a lot of things. Um, you get like ranked sort of on how much publicity they're going to give you like these are our tier oh, one yeah. and our tier two and that matters a lot like well because book yeah has to get on Word shelves has to and get has out to, there yeah somehow. exactly exactly so I didn't know if anyone was going to read it besides you know the people around me maybe some of my dad's yeah. readers and then um I had such a good push with my dad's readers and yeah. you know having a lot of support and so the first week it came out it was on the New York Times bestseller list which is amazing it's amazing and I thought like oh this is you know this is incredible this is obviously you know my dad helped me out I think the break book's great but you know lucky me I had this extra boost and then it was on the next week and it was on there for eight weeks oh, and it won a couple of, of awards it and it oh. got published in like I don't even know how many countries now probably like 20 25 um, it just did something that I did is, not expect. Does that mean multiple language, like 25 languages? Um, hmm. I'd probably have to count because I'm sure there's several countries that, you know, in Spanish or several, oh, right, in, right, right, right? But yeah, yeah. it's like, I have probably like 25 foreign publishers basically. That's so amazing. anyway, it did all these things that I could, I, like I could tell my publisher was a little bit surprised because they were so excited and I, you know, <laughs> like you guys didn't know it would, <laughs> would do this well. Um, but it was just really, it was really surprising and really, really exciting. Yes. Really Cause, fun. Because then out of that, does, did they sign you for, you know, they get some sort of either rights to your next book or um, sort of an option to purchase yeah. or something like that? Yeah, I think that's probably what was written into my first contract. They at least got to um, have the first look at whatever I wrote next. Mm -hmm. So, and I did want to stay with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they published my second as well. Um, and then my third, my publisher has changed. Um, oh, okay. There was like a big shift in Simon & Schuster. So I was publishing with Simon Pulse, um, and okay. I'm now with Simon & Schuster Books for Young Readers. Okay, yeah. I think is what it's called. Yes. Anyway, so that's brand new, but that was a, that's exciting. Yeah, exciting, and I'm excited to be working with a lot of the um, new people who are in there. So yeah, that's good. that's awesome. Well, and two, I think while you couldn't control your, I mean, just like anybody else, you can't control the family that you're born into. You can't control that your dad happened to be a very well known author and very well published author, and but at the same time, you're the one that took the time to put all of those words on a page. There were a lot of words. Right? Like I that's think I a wrote, lot of like, words. I, once I tried to like estimate, it was probably like half a million words before I finally got oh to. Oh my gosh. Love and gelato. <laughs> that Which final. Is, that's, yeah. That final. That's kind of like of the it, so. crucible of getting a book out there. So I hear like, it's like, a, it's an entire process of writing and rewriting and reworking and that's a painful process, especially when you're attached to certain parts of the story, right? right? And I think also, and I still feel this way, I don't know if this feeling will go away, where I just, there's a big part of me that is like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Oh. Like, I don't know how to write 
I think probably feels that way. Right. And, but I think that, you know, we get like edit letters and it'll be like a 10 page document about everything that's wrong with what you've written. And it's like, Oh, I've had to just learn how to, I think that's another thing like to be, um, a better artist. I think that you have to learn how to take feedback and not let it destroy you. Now in some of the feedback, what if you really feel strongly that that, I mean, is it talking about the structure of the writing or is it talking about things that like emotionally mean something to you? Right. That like sometimes you have to stand your ground and say, yeah, I still want this in here and let's see if we can make it work in a way that makes sense or something like that. Yeah. I've definitely had things that I was like, no, I need this to stay. Um, but I've also tried to really be open. open. Yeah. Yeah. Because I realized like, okay, I'm here trying to learn how to write a book now on a stage. Right. Right. Um, and I think that I think my editors have been really helpful, but I've also had to make sure that I don't let go of things that I really want to be in there. Yeah. And that's been a hard balance to learn. Well, yeah. Definitely. And I, I would imagine that that's without having gone through it, nobody can really even explain it to you. Right. Like it's right. not something that you, you can hear about it, but it's kind of like having a child, right? Nobody can actually tell you what it's like to have a baby and right. tell you have a baby. Right. And then they're like, see, see, <laughs> see? and now we can have this bonding you know experience this like? about yeah, how this is, exactly. how this is a hard moment in life. Right. Yeah. And, but it is, I mean, cause how, so your first book was multiple years. If you count up from when you wrote it to when it was finished. Right. Now your second book for me, that felt really, really quick. Yes. Like that's, Cause it was a, was it 18 month turnaround? Like how close um, were they together? I think we were trying to do even faster than it was. And then it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to be able to <laughs> pull it off, um, that quickly. So it was, it came out two years later. Oh man. Cause it seemed like her first one just came out and now it, there's a second one and it's just as good. And I'm, oh. I keep like, I, I always make my boys read all of the stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, here, read this. This is so great. Aww, like, this is so what it's sweet. like to be a teenager, like from America going to Italy. Yeah. Anyway. So I, I keep trying to like put it in people's laps because oh, it's just you. such a fantastic story that I think everybody relates to. Like everybody's felt connected to one or two of your characters in a way that draws them in. And I love it. Oh, thank you. It. That's a great compliment. And so also to have your um, second book, your second book did really well as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just. Yeah. Um, so there's this thing called the second book curse that like all authors will talk about. I think, you know, like exactly like you said, that's interesting. You had you intuitively knew a lot about what this second book process would be like, because the first book you have, you know, maybe you've been thinking about it for a decade, you've been Mm -hmm. working and reworking and, you know, you have like this final polished thing that you're ready to send out. And then the second book, and you don't know if anyone's going to read it. And then the second book, you're like, oh, maybe some people are going to read it. And there's this new pressure. And there was more, Mm -hmm. it felt like, um, my publisher was more invested at that point. Like there's just, there's just a lot more pressure. And also, um, I actually submitted my first hundred pages. I was like about to give birth right? Like with Nora. So I was pregnant when Love and Gelato came out, like massively pregnant and wearing high heels to all these book events. Because because I was like, I have my whole life. I have, right? Like waited for this moment. Like I will wear my (laughs) high heels. Um, so I had Nora, um, (laughs) like, well, how, it was probably 
just like a month after Love and Gelato came out. Oh, wow. But I was trying to get in 100 pages of the second book, which would be Love and Luck. And I remember nurses saying like, okay, it's t- you can we can push, like we can start this. And I was like, just give me like 10 minutes and like <laughs> finishing up my document and sending it to my agent and my publisher. And then it was like, okay, now okay, I'm now ready. Okay, now it's go time. Right. Now we're ready. Yeah. Um, and I'd had really, really terrible postpartum after I had my first child, like just awful. And it lasted about a year. And it started, I swear, the second I had Sam. Um, with Nora, I had her and I was not wanting to sign a contract until I knew if I would actually have a brain. Um, yeah. And I felt great. But unfortunately, the postpartum hit four months after I had her. And it was right, it, like exactly the same. I just had kind of yeah. this grace period of newborn. So I was struggling to write Love and Luck um, while being just terribly depressed. We were having a lot of problems with our other child, like our life was just really, really a mess. Like I honestly don't even have a lot of memories of that first it's year just with like Nora. Buckle down. I think it. I wasn't yeah. sleeping enough. I wasn't like it was just a mess. And the fact that a book came out of that is really pretty shocking. But it was pretty and a book painful. As good. As, I mean, because in two years to have a book that good Aww. come out, so and then to hear about like the struggle that it took to get it there, like. That's incredible. That's an incredible accomplishment. Thank you. There was one night with love and luck that I will just never forget. I was trying to rewrite. I'd been awake for like 48 hours. I was in a hotel and I remember just like collapsing on the floor. Like, I don't know. I can't do any more than this. Like I have not slept. Like my kids are just a mess. Everyone's a mess. I've been writing forever. I can't seem to get this right. And just having to like force my way through another night of writing and thinking this is like it was probably the hardest night of my life, which yeah. is so interesting to look back on, but got through it and the book's out there. And I think I learned so much from that experience. Well, and there's, I mean, cause it's such an emotional birth of sorts to put your words out there and in such a, you know, I mean like it's an official way it's bound, it's, you know, it's printed, it is in people's hands. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's sort of like a universal crucible that has to be there for it to be sort of born out into the world. And then it's done really well because it's really well written. Like your effort at that point paid off. Man, it was brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Brutal. And and then, um, so then what year did Love and Luck come out? That was 2018. 2018. So then 2020, two years again. Right. Man, girl, how do you, how do you keep this get, I mean, I'm sure you can see the progression between your first book and then first and second, and Mm -hmm. now between your second and third. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've been able to see your progression as a writer, as a mother, right? Your kids are older. Right. And um, how, how has that shifted between, so from the first and the second to now the second and the third? So I haven't talked about this either, but I wrote a third book that did not, that was not accepted, basically. Oh. Right? So I wrote a like book. Like not accepted at the public. Meaning there was so or? much wrong with it that it was like, ah, oh, we want you to change this and this and this. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think this is the same story anymore. So this was last summer. Um, right? So I had oh. in my mind, like, I've written two New York Times bestsellers, like, you know, I know how, I know what I'm doing now. And Mm -hmm. I'd actually spent a ton of time studying craft because I felt like for so 
much of my process with the first two, it was just sort of this like feeling around blindly until I had a story. Mm -hmm. I was like, this can't be the way that everyone does this. So I studied and studied, I actually studied movies a lot that their plots, which is interesting. Um, It's actually a really, really interesting thing to study because all movies do the exact same things and we don't realize it, but our brains know when it's off. The Jeffrey Campbell story. I I don't know. So it's like it, 10% 10% of the movie, this will happen. And you can literally scroll and you'll find it. Like, right? I don't know. I'll show it to you sometime. But the That's way amazing. stories are plotted, it's pretty incredible. And almost every movie follows this exact kid movies, everything. Like now, like any formula. story I watch, I'm like, oh, there's the turning point. There's the, right? It's really, yeah, it's super what? interesting. And so, so I so you studied applied that, right? To- and applied it. And I ended up with something that was just not. I don't know. I cared about it. There's a lot of emotion in it. Um, but I think that I tried too hard with the craft and I'd missed the mark somewhere. Did you hear the music with that book? In some spots. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't feel like I could, I didn't feel strongly enough about it that I could totally stand up for it and say, no, I want this book to be published. Mm -hmm. But I also wasn't comfortable with just sort of changing big elements of it until it became, I was like, all right, I've just got to start over. So I actually spent most of last summer trying to decide if I was even going, going to keep to, going mm-hmm. because I was just so devastated by this book not so wait, working out. 2018, Love and Luck is published. Mm-hmm. You stop writing it in 2017 so that it can be published in 2018. Like it's pretty well finished. You're just editing. I probably to the beginning of 2018. Honestly, I was pretty late on getting it all done. So then, so then it came out like six months later of 2019. You have a full another book written. Yes. Oh my. And then I had to write another one, right? The one that's coming out. (laughs) So I, I had just this really honestly like a breakdown where I was like can I even do this anymore like this is so painful so much of this process is painful my family is like constantly struggling I'm having to leave all the time to write like I'm just so tired and maybe I don't know what I'm doing and maybe this just isn't worth it so I spent last summer just really really searching deep do I want to do this is this right for me is this healthy for me do I need to do it later like Mm -hmm. what am I going to do here um, and I talked this whole situation just to death with like poor David, my husband and my family and <laughs> just not knowing what to do. And I think I had lots of great reasons to just say this isn't working for me and step right. away. And that was really a, a possibility and something that I really seriously gave some thought to. Um, and then I had this friend, Crystal, um, who I've been friends with since college. We had this like really fun night and we did a moon ceremony in my backyard where we like wrote stuff and burned it. And did, right? Like, like a full moon ceremony? Full moon ceremony. Yeah. It was, anyway, we just had this like fun, silly night. And um, I wrote down a lot of the things that I was feeling about writing and about where I was in the process. Um, about publishing really, like writing and publishing are just totally different things. Yeah, they're two right? different they're sides really, of the same coin. Yeah, yeah. really different. Um, so... We did the ceremony and the next day I woke up and I knew exactly what to do. Um, I had like a new, I had a new story idea. I'd had this image that kept coming to mind. Um, and they were really clear. It was about this dream about a girl drowning, um, looking for something underwater. And then this list of 27 things that a father had left behind. Um, anyway, so I had these two really, really clear ideas. Yeah. And I knew they were like trying to go somewhere and, um, 
I decided like, I'm going to write up this new story idea. I'm going to show it to my publisher. If they like it, great. If they don't, that's okay. Like I'll just work on it on my own. Yeah. Um, but I just felt finally this like confidence and clarity, like, no, this is a story I want to write and I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to write something just to get it out there. Right. Like I want to yeah. write something that I really care about and that I think is trying to show up for me. So anyway, I spent an hour. Amazing. <laughs> it was so, it was really awesome. I spent an hour in a coffee shop with my dad like my confidence was just so low at that point. And I was like, these are the ideas I'm ha- like that I'm starting with. And I just like, I just felt so like blocked and freaked out. Um, and we talked about like where the story could go for like an hour. And then I wrote an outline and then it came together like pretty quickly after that. Like it was done, I had like a first draft probably within three months. Holy. And then, so I know just for those of us that have never written a book, how many words so this is one is way time. longer than my other two. So the first two were yeah. about, yeah, were about 75,000 words. And this one's 115,000. And yeah. I know it just, it just showed up. Meaning yeah. I had to dig and work really hard for it. Yeah. But there was, it, it was different. And like, I'm really, really glad that the book that I wrote the summer before hadn't mm-hmm. worked out because I love this story. Like, I feel like it's really special and really, Yay. I know, I'm so That's excited about so it. Exciting. I'm so excited. So. And so is it a different kind of excitement from before just because having like the experience, you know, as you get more experience, your excitement level kind of shifts and changes based on what you know about the situation. So is this different or is it like the same amount of like confident excitement of? That's an interesting question <laughs> to think about that. Um, I think I just didn't know anything really with my first two books. I didn't really mm-hmm. understand how it all worked. I didn't like, there were so many, like I didn't even know that, like publishers from other countries would want to buy my book, right? Like I just felt like I didn't know anything ever. Right. So well. this time around, I feel like I know a lot more how the process works. I know it's possible that it won't get much attention or it could get a lot of attention. Right. And that a lot of that is out of my control. Um, but I do really feel like the people who loved my first book are going to love this one. And I'm really excited for them to start reading it. Oh, good. And I also know how painful this next part can be because... I, right now it's just my book, right? And just yeah. now I'm starting to see early reviews and some of them are great and some of them are like, this is not for me. So, Which is probably typical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally right? typical. Like, yeah. like, Absolutely. It's going to be for some people and not for other people. And yeah, you just kind of get luck of the draw of who reads it. Yeah. yeah. It's just this very vulnerable thing of I'm going to go out there and just give it my all and yes. no one goes out there and doesn't give it their all, right? Like if yes. you put a book out there, like it is, you have tried your very hardest and you are totally vulnerable and there will be people who love it and people who don't and that's just part of it I mean that's the hard but I also think it's just I don't know makes you who you are right now did your um all of your research of the craft did that help did that end up kind of helping I think it probably did so it's funny because when I look back at my especially love and gelato when I know I had no concept of like a story structure, mm-hmm. I actually hit all the beats perfectly. I'm like, oh yeah, the book totally did what it was supposed to, right? Yeah. So there's definitely like a, like an intuition piece of it. Yeah. Um, it, it actually did make it a little easier to write this one because I knew about where kind of the climactic scenes needed to go. Needed and to, I knew that yeah. I needed to know what those scenes were. Um, I think you especially needed to know what happens, basically what kicks off the story um, when the character commits and then 
there's something right in the middle of the book or in the movie or whatever that mm-hmm. will kind of change everything, right? It's like this turning point. And then around 75%, you're going to have like your big dramatic moment. So I think and having a, a resolution, hopefully. Right, a resolution. Yeah. So I think having um, kind of that basic understanding. I've also realized that, um, and this is kind of more craft related, but I think a good way to look at a story is, does the opening image, is it a complete flip or a complete opposite scene as the end right so like we want them to be opposites of each other like we want to see someone starting in one place and then they get like tumbled through the story and it changes them and they come out the other end as something totally different so that's been a helpful thing so yeah actually I think it did help me so I I probably should just look at that third third unpublished book as a practice yeah yeah like a I mean look at it however you want I don't get to decide but like I would think that having churned out a book in how long has it been a year yeah (laughs) (laughs) I would say that you know like you're gathering experience as you go like you're you're gaining gaining ground essentially yeah so I love that well and you write in such a way I mean I can't Obviously, I'm really eloquent with words right now, but you write in such a way that you can literally imagine yourself being in that scenario, and I don't imagine that's easy to universally do with everybody. To try to make it so they feel so like they they're fi- actually there. Yeah. Um, so th- I think that was the easiest with, so I do, the, all of my books have been like travel books, right? Yes. They've been like girl abroad stories, mm-hmm. which obviously came from my kind of eye-opening experience as a teenager in Italy, mm-hmm. right? So that first one was easy because I'd absorbed so much of Italy. Um, so it was really easy to write about. Yeah. And I've tried to be really conscien- conscientious of that for the other two books because I know I don't have quite as much experience, but want to make sure people feel like they're there and seeing yes. it. and yeah. yeah. Well, and I don't think that's, I don't know, I must not be very well read too, but I think that that's really unique to the way, because you, so in the plot of the first book, it's like, she has to move to Italy, Mm -hmm. right? And then in the second book, she's visiting Ireland. Right. So it's like, it's very much you, I think you like put it into context in a way that's really helpful right like you were totally like you guys were learning Italian mm-hmm. right like you had like yeah Italian tutors and you were prepping for a while and then you went and you were there for a whole year so my family was there for a year and then that they let me stay for a year on my own okay after that that now that I'm a parent I'm like wow that was amazing <laughs> that's that really gutsy <laughs> they must have really trusted me <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. mostly showed up but maybe only like 75 <laughs> percent there <laughs> yeah that's, that's how that goes sometimes yes, exactly and um and then have you been to Ireland so I've never been to Ireland but have you been to Ireland extensively no so I went there so I did a study abroad in London when I okay. was 20 and um I love London so much and we were supposed to do this week in Ireland and I was like oh I just want to stay in London and then I loved Ireland like <laughs> loved it um it's just a real it's a beautiful place but also the people like I feel like they live up to the stereotype of being like fun loving and I, don't, I was like oh my gosh you're yeah you're Irish this is what you're really like it was and there's just like music everywhere and the city is really interesting really interesting art so I really mm-hmm. loved it 
Um, so I'd originally written the second book to take place in Missouri. Oh, um, there's a, have you ever been to Hannibal, Missouri? Yes, you guys went, right? We did. Yes. We drove through I on our, love Hannibal, Missouri. It was, I didn't want, first of all, I didn't know it existed. Right. We just happened to be on the kind of trip where we're like, oh, look, that, that turnoff looks fun. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, look, that historical marker. We stumbled upon a Hannibal. There's and so much to do there. So much to do, so much to see. And so charming. Right. I mean, just mind-boggling charm. Right. Yeah. So that's where I'd planned to do the second book. And it was kind of a similar brother-sister road trip story. Mm-hmm. Um, and my publisher was like, what, what if you did, like, stuck with the Europe thing? And as soon as they said it, I got all these chills up my arms. I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that is what I need to do. Um, and I immediately thought of, of Ireland. Um, and so our mutual friend, Allie Fife, we oh, planned to go to Missouri okay. together. I had, like, a newborn, right? Yes. Um, and I was like, so I called her, and I was like, what if we go to Ireland instead, like, next week? And she was like... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> we did. I love her. For a that. 780, we had like seventy-two hours in Ireland, and we oh drove across it. And I was like, it was hilarious. We just like a loaf of bread in the back seat of our car, driving on the wrong <laughs> side. Um, in love and look, the mom is always like panicking and swearing as she's driving, and that was me. Like Allie had to take over because I was so. I was like brain scrambled from having a baby and also trying to write and I hadn't slept in months. And, and you're like jet lagged and you're yeah, like, yeah, oh, it was such a mess. Be- it was such a like crazy mess. So <laughs> anyway, we did that 72 hours in Ireland and then I came home and I turned it into a book about Ireland. Oh but, my gosh. Yeah. So much fun. And then the one coming out is about Santorini, which is an island in Greece. Um, it's so, so fun. Santorini is so like the fun thing is, is I work on these books. I'm mentally in these places for mm-hmm. a long period of time. Um, like when I, I saw a picture of Santorini the other day and I was like, it feels like I was just there. Yes. Right. And yeah. that I've been there for a long time because I am, I'm like picturing it and <laughs> writing an about it and thinking stay. about it. Exactly. Yeah. Even though I was only there for a week, but so awesome. Well, I, yeah, so excited. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. So have you always had a good imagination? Yes. Like just overactive. Do you mm-hmm. think that's from reading or do you remember that even like earlier than wanting to be an author and reading everything you could get your hands on? I think, I think I always had just always a big imagination. Yeah. Like I remember just always being the one in charge of coming up with what we'd play at recess and stuff. Cause I always <laughs> had the ideas and I had like, um, imaginary friends that were like ongoing. Like I had these two invisible elves that sat on my shoulders and I remember like playing with these invisible elves for like years. Like, it was, like, this long-term imagination game. And still, like, I can't watch scary movies because, like, I get, oh, like, my imagination's too big. My my imagination's too good. (laughs) Like, I can't imagine that happening to me. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that it's actually, like, yes, there is someone under my bed. Right. Yes, there is someone in the shower. Yeah, I can't either. And I think I learned that in high school. I was like, this isn't worth worth the literal nightmares it's giving me. And I'm, like, physically in pain. Yes. From, like, scary (laughs) movies. I am, yeah, I think the last scary movie I watched was, like, 10 years ago. Because I was like, I can't do this to myself. Yeah, like, even, like, well, and I can't do like even highly suspenseful movies like that just hold you in that long suspense because I I can imagine mm-hmm. that happening. Yeah. Like, then my life just turns into this huge, long, suspenseful life. That's not what I, no, that's not what I signed up for. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So do all of your siblings. So how many, there's five, four of you. Five. So five. I'm the oldest of five. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so does everybody have that same sort of experience or was that kind of like your unique biology? Meaning do they have the same like imagination? Like did you writing? all 
imagination play together? Like, were you a big yeah, like proponent uh, so of your parents? We, we almost have like two families. I was realizing the other day because oh, it's yeah. me and my sister Allie, and then there was a huge gap, mm-hmm. and then the three youngest, the three youngest, uh-huh. yeah. and a lot of things about our life changed in that gap as well. So this, anyway, my sister, my sister Allie's actually living with us right now. She's getting ready to go to school. So we've anyway we've been talking about that, and I remember doing a lot of imaginative play with her, mm-hmm. um, and then my sister Abby, who's in the middle. Um, I think they were probably the most alike as far as creativity. Uh-huh. Um, she, so she has a podcast and she does like oh, she's styling. The, yes. Yeah. The makeup podcast and the styling. And yeah, she's yeah. like working on movie sets and film sets and yeah, she's doing so anyway. She, but she's someone like she would write plays and she, you know, we're always so like acting fun. in her yes. things, she's <laughs> making her own clothes. So yeah, like she definitely, like I, she's much more creative than I am, but she definitely Definitely got that gene as well. The, the imagination gene. Yeah. And then you, the two youngest, mm-hmm. I mean, they're like basically twins. Right. They're right. like, I think they're eight months apart. Yeah. So they just kind of adopted. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so they just probably were like participants in all the imagination anybody yeah. could throw yeah, at them. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Dragged into <laughs> it with the older kids. As the young, you know, like you just do the bidding of the older ones and you just go happily along and right. all good. But, um, so did your parents like encourage you? I mean, I imagine that they read to you guys a lot. They probably, so my dad told just incredible bedtime stories. Really, oh, really I could good. see that. Really, Actually, really good yeah. stories. Like there would be like to be continued and we'd be like, no, no. Right. Then <laughs> I'm sure he would just like make up the rest for, <laughs> you know, the next night. Um, and we, I, you know, I remember just reading on my own a lot. I'm sure they read to me earlier but uh-huh. then yeah you know. but yeah I don't know and they were always worried that I was reading too much which is funny they <laughs> laugh about that now um but yeah I think I think it was definitely and my mom's really creative she says she isn't but you know oh she's if she yeah. needs to do something she'll she, she suddenly does it. paint a mural or whatever and yes. we're like, but you say you can't do this but <laughs> you can yes it's you right there can. in your back pocket yes You're fine. exactly yeah exactly so do you do that with your kids like, do you read a ton to them? Do you, like, play yes, imagination we, with them? Uh-huh. Yeah. We read a lot. We definitely do a lot of imaginative play. Um, Sam is, like, in a constant imaginative game, and that's been a really fun thing for me because I feel like that's yeah. something we're really similar on. Yeah. His are, like, all, like, battling, so we do a lot of, like, sword fighting and, you know, Ninja. all. Yes. Yes. Yep. Like, I'm, like, we'll drive past the park and see, like, LARPing going on. I'm like, there he is. That's like <laughs> Sam's ideal <laughs> hangout yes. happening over there. So great. Yeah. We talk a lot about like Pokemon and yeah, yes. all of that. So, so a lot fun. of new things for me. <laughs> <laughs> Always good. Expanding mm-hmm. horizons. And then Nora, how old, how old are your kids now? So Sam's seven and Nora is four. And four. Oh, so fun. They're just um, getting they're to fun. like highly communicative and mm-hmm. like in their own little world, like they can just like disappear in their own little imagination bubble. Yeah. Which is super fun. Yeah. Okay. And well, and David's pretty creative. Yeah. So David is a software engineer. um, Yeah. And it's been really interesting because I feel like what we do is so different, but our processes are actually very similar. So I actually can really talk to him about like my work and like, I feel like he gets it. Yeah. The main thing that he always says is I have like, he's like a lot of his work will fall on him, but he says, I do have people I can fall back on. And as a writer, like you are the only person who can produce 
what the final mean. product. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's something he's really recognized as the amount of pressure that is and that he's been supportive of that. But yeah, he's been so supportive and so awesome. Yeah, now did remind me, did he do art in high school? I hmm. I don't think he went to high school. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I actually don't think we he went did. to two different high schools he, at the same place. Yeah, he um yeah, I think he mostly was just skipping school. So, you know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> I have a husband like that too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, George, you're gonna need to get like like it's really not hard to do better than your dad, actually. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> like, so, please, yeah, sometimes we like, like to sort of doctor up yeah. our past so we sound like right. role models uh-huh. for the children. And really, it's just like, okay, this is a role model in reverse. Right. Like, it's just right. like, what not to do. Like your dad didn't go to school, yeah. but he's doing really well. But that's not what happens That's to everyone. Yeah. That's not what you're going to do. So, <laughs> Right. Scare yeah, tactics. Scare exactly. tactics. No. Okay, so... How do you unwind your, so if your job is putting your imagination to work and getting it down on paper, how do you unwind? Because I go to my imagination to unwind. Mm, that's so interesting. How do you like actually reset? Um, well, I, this is a little bit different than one you're asking, but I've realized I really have to separate from the rest of my life, my responsibilities in order to activate that part of my brain. Oh. So I almost never write at home right now. I hope that I will one day, but at home I'm thinking about like laundry and as someone having so a young. tantrum with yes. like, you know, upstairs or mm-hmm. like, it's really hard for me to disengage in the way that I need to, to actually be like productive playing, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. a playful enough mind to do the work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there are moments when it feels fun, but it almost always feels like work. So whenever I like step back from the writing, it usually feels like a bit of a break. So I used to go to reading to like relax my mind, but I've found that that's getting harder because I'm now like, how did they do this? How did, like, I'm looking at syntax. I'm looking, right. Like that's the one sad thing about becoming a writer is I feel like it's changed my experience of reading. You dissect the books in a different way. I dissect the book. They're not these like untouchable things. Like I know what the person had to go through to get yeah to it right so mm-hmm. I can I, like I know that it reads and it well, well a good book will read naturally and flow but I know how hard it is to make it do that look easy right yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um I've been trying really hard to um get back into reading so I actually have just bought this giant stack of books I'm working on this summer and I'm trying to not read as much YA because then I'm not oh, thinking about right my craft, right? right? Yeah. Like so I've read a lot of comparison. nonfiction and I've picked up a, a bunch of like, um, fiction beach reads for the summer, which has oh, been really fun. fun. Yeah. Just like light, easy. Yeah. I mean, obviously that I don't, I'm sitting with an author and now I'm realizing it's obviously not easy to just like pull your reader easily through the book. Like right. It has to flow in a certain way there. You have to right. work at that. But but like I mean, of course, some simpler. books are easier to read than others. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're not like in the deep, dark self-help section of like Mm-mm. hard work. It's no. just like, just simply put my mind it on, on an, you know, a simple path of mm-hmm. following a story. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually, last night I was reading um, Jennifer Weiner's new book, Big Summer. Oh, it's totally I, sucking me in. It's so fun. Like the plot is so fun and she's such a great writer. So I know. Like, I'm oh. going to have to, maybe I'll get your like top 10 reads for the summer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good I'd idea. I'd love to like stick that on there too. Okay. Because that's awesome. And I want to link to your sister's podcast too, because you know, it's even super though fun. I, have, I have a super huge following, I'm not really sure if, <laughs> really sure if that's a thing, but I just want to like, I don't know. I just always feel like 
diversifying what you listen to, read, and all of that. She does a lot of scary podcasts, so I can't listen to most of her stuff. (laughs) She does a lot of, like, true crime and then ghost stories, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't listen to it because I'll have nightmares. My big imagination will come in. So just leading me right to it. I just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. What if we just talk about, like, what you want to leave behind? So, like, what – you're in Mm mid-30s, right? Let's say you write till 80. Right? right? And every two years, that's a lot of books. Oh, my gosh. That's so many books. And let's just say when you're 80 and you're looking back, like what do you hope that brings to people, that legacy of books? Um, I always think about sort of like the lonely girl sitting in her room reading, which I think was me for a lot of the time. Like what I really hope is that people, my readers, and I always think of young women, but there are like many other people who read my books. Um, I hope that they feel seen and that they see that they can um, kind of go through these experiences of growing up and decide who they want to be. Yeah. So I think that's why part of why I've um, stuck with YA. Um, I just feel like there's so much possibility in that time period of your life. And it's kind of a moment when you're deciding who you want to be. Not that you can't change later, but it's a moment where suddenly you realize it is a a decision, right? Like I do get to choose um, where I want to go and who I want to be and how I want to look at things. And I think it's also a moment where you realize who was there for you and who let you down and what are you going to do about that? Right. So um, I just think teen years can be a really big deal. And I love the thought of um, having connected with people at that moment in their life. Yeah. Well, and then been a part of their story of Mm -hmm. watching, you know, reading about somebody that can do it in a book. Why can't you do it? Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Of course. Oh, I can't wait for Emma to read your books. I'm so excited. Emma's eight. Eight. Okay. Yeah. She's She's older than Sam. It's, oh, girl. So fun. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so glad you would come over and... This and is so chat fun. for a little while. So, so fun. And we'll have to like chat some more without microphones. Mm-hmm. Like, let's, just, let's just keep chatting. I would love that. Jenna, thank you for sharing your creativity with the world in such an open way. It's, I think it's a really, it feels very vulnerable to me to share in that way. And I'm just so happy that you had come on today. So for the rest of us, my notes were all over the place about this episode because I loved so many things that she said. But three quick things that I got from her interview were, number one, imagination is where the magic is and that never changes. Number two, life circumstances may get sticky, but it doesn't mean that your creative juices or your creativity is gone. It may just be on hold. And number three, there are people who need some someone average to be an influence for good in their world, and it might as well be you or be me. So um, those are just the three quick takeaways, and check out the show notes for more links on how to connect with Jenna, how to buy her books, how to you know pre-order her book that's coming out in November. And if you do track her down on social media, let her know that you found her uh, through this podcast. This podcast is fueled by my family's mission at the Oliver Fund. We send playthings to children in hardship all over the world, and we are looking in our own communities now for opportunities to help and support. We believe that to have the the ability to work hard, there is value in playing well. 
You can find out more online at theoliverfund.org or on social media at The Oliver Fund and at Art of Play Podcast on all platforms. If you love this episode, please will you do me a favor and go to Apple Podcasts and write a review or share with a friend you think would love it. The more the word gets out, the more we are able to share our playful message with others. Here's to leaving you to your weekend a little more hopeful and hopefully more happily playful if only for five minutes. Thank mm-hmm. you.